when you've worked with the catchers so far for the White Sox, LaCroix, Grandal, Zach Collins, what's been your impression so far? I've been very impressed by the the uh, guys here that uh, have come through the system. Uh, the inexperienced guys, Zach Collins, Mercedes, Savala, uh, there, you know, and Lacroix being in the mix too for that backup job. There's been, you know, anytime you've got competition for a position, uh, you're going to get the best out of guys, and we've seen that from all of them this spring. Zach Collins has, you know, been swinging the bat really, really well. He's changed some things mechanically catching. He looks really relaxed and confident when he's catching. Uh, Mercedes has got a history in the minor leagues of really being able to swing the bat. He's thrown the ball really well. Uh, He threw out three base runners the other day against the the Padres when Lopez was about 1-4-5 plus to the plate, and that's not easy to do. And, uh, had a great quick release, got the ball down to second base and under 1-9. So mm. anytime you can stop a running game like that, that gives you a shot. And Savala, who we did send out, is, a, is an outstanding receiver, catcher, and works extremely well with pitchers. So we've got a little bit of depth there in the catching position. You talk about being quiet behind the plate. and it's it, Receiving is such an art now, and more than ever with the expectations of, of framing. And frankly, stealing strikes, you call it what you want, umpire fool making sure that look is ideal and we know that Yasmani Grandel is terrific at it and you know watching Molina you can just uh, you teach a course with some of the receiving how how do you teach it what are your bullet points to help a younger catcher understand how to be a great receiver uh there, there's a couple things you, you know you've got to beat the ball to the spot but you can't be too early. I mean, there, there's a fine line there but if you're late to the ball the ball is going to push you out of the strike zone so you want to get on low pitches, you want to get under it and push it into the strike zone. On the corners, you want to get around it and bring it back into the zone. And at the top, you want to bring it down into the zone. And if you're late, you're not going to be able to do that. But if your timing's off a little bit, you're going to clank the ball too. And uh, one thing about Yasmani that's impressive is he, he dominates all the way around the strike zone. He may not be the best at the bottom or the top or the corners, but he's near the top in all those areas, and uh, that's why he scores so well. It's very unusual to have a catcher who's really good at all corners of the strike zone, and that's what Yaz does. White Sox fans couldn't have been happier with James McCann and the performance that he gave the team when he was here. You got to work with him and met with him. What can you tell us about working with him and what you saw out of him to get the big contract you just got with the Mets, for example, and just really make a name for himself? Well, uh, the the pitch framing has become such a big deal in baseball. It was always a big deal, but nobody was quantifying it and getting paid by it really in the past years, but it's always been a big thing to catchers. But over the last few years with, you know, being able to quantify it with all the analytics, it's 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 huge now for catchers. And James was near the bottom of the, that area. And uh, last winter, I, know, I did not know James McCann, but he called me last, uh, about Thanksgiving right after that, and wanted to know if I would talk with him about catching and even come out and work with him in Nashville. And uh, that that's really what happened with James. And he had a good idea what he wanted to do. He just needed some, you know, some encouragement or help there with it to uh, go along with what he was wanting to do with it. And I showed him some things, showed him some uh, uh, different 
techniques and some things he could practice with. And, and to his credit, he did all the work because I wasn't here last year. And uh, he did a great job, and he got paid for it. We've talked a lot about the culture of the White Sox clubhouse and dugout and what what came together last year and how this young and energetic and multicultural group has has developed this confidence. And you've been around a lot of different teams and and in in major league teams and team Israel and a lot of different places. When now that you've seen it, now that you've been around it, what is how would you describe the way this group is and how what does it feel like to you there's there's a lot of confidence here and and there should be because these guys are very very talented it's a it's a young talented group um position players and the pitching and uh it, it if we can keep everybody on the field keep everybody you know healthy and playing every day uh we've got a chance to be very competitive over the course of the year it should be an exciting year for us but uh uh, I had never seen, you know, I've been, spent the last few years in the the National League until last year, and we didn't play the White Sox last year when I was with the Red Sox. And I hadn't seen Tim Anderson really play other than highlights. And, I, you know, you know a guy wins a batting title, but you don't know how good they are until you really see them. And this guy's very impressive swinging the bat. I mean, he squares the ball up. He barrels the ball consistently on almost any kind of pitch anywhere in the strike zone. He's been very, very impressive. And then some of our young pitchers here with the velocity they have and uh, uh, just can, if they continue to grow, Dylan Cease has got as good a stuff as anybody in baseball. And if he can just harness that and throw strikes with all his pitches, he'll have a great year. It was a great plus the other day to see Carlos Rodon come out and pitch the way he did against the Padres. And he faced their big boys the other day over in, in uh, Peoria and, and really dominated on the way he pitched. And, if he throws strikes, he should have a, a big year. But, you know, the one thing about Carlos, he hasn't been healthy, I don't think, over the last few years. But uh, hopefully he'll be healthy and he'll show who the real Carlos Rodon is. One of the things I enjoy so much about this White Sox group is how they've been able to build that catching depth, which we all know is such a priority and a premium in baseball. You don't see that. And then have the pitching depth that they have on top of it. Lopez, Cease, Rodon, trying to figure out that back end of the rotation, the bullpen, how do you assess the Sox having an embarrassment of riches when it comes to both of those positions when we all know that that is not the case in the rest of Major League Baseball? No, you know, Rick Hahn and the group here deserve all the credit in the world for being able to put this club together, what they've done over the last few years. I know there's probably a lot of White Sox who weren't happy about three or four years ago, but... But these guys uh, have have done a great job bringing talent in here and developing talent, and uh, it it should be a very exciting next few years here because the the talent is here, and it's just a matter of these guys progressing and and really learning how to win and having a culture of winning. And uh, I think that's one thing Tony's come in here and and really you know the intensity Tony has during the games with these guys. Uh, and it's all about winning with Tony. And uh, um, it's going to be interesting to see these guys perform over the year. I'm excited about this to see these guys compete. We're talking with Jerry Naren of the Chicago White Sox here on the Bernstein Rahimi Show on Sports Radio 670, The Score. And because of social media and everything in photos and videos in real time, we're getting to know your lineup card for people who haven't experienced what that looks like. And I went back and watched some videos of you explaining your the, uh, the, the calligraphy and the color coding and the fact that there aren't vowels at the bottom. 
I love the the ritualistic aspect of it. There's something very sort of zen about it that has to be central in, in some ways to your game day. That there, there, it seems like there's something almost uh, almost meditative or therapeutic in the process. Yeah, well, I hadn't really thought about that way, but it, it, you're right about that. But uh, uh, I started doing it when I started coaching in the, the big leagues in 93 with the Orioles. And, uh, just, you know, I just believe whatever you do in life, you do it to the very best of your ability. I was brought up with parents who said, if you dig a ditch, dig it the best. So it's something as small as doing a lineup card. I try to do it the best I can, do a little bit of creativity with it. And uh, I think a lot of people appreciate it and uh, do a little few different things. I write the uh, Asian players in uh, uh, kanji or Chinese characters. I've been doing that since Ichiro came to Seattle and in the early 2000s, and the jet, that's carried over, and I just mess around with the Hall of Fame guys where uh, if their ticket's punched, uh, they get their full name if they're not playing that that day. If we play the Angels and Pujols isn't in the in the lineup, he'll get the U and the O and the extra men instead of just the, just the confidence. But, uh, and I also have a daughter in that's an uh, Israeli citizen. She's lived there for 12 years, and I've got four grandchildren there, and so I always write Shalom in Hebrew at the top of it somewhere. I noticed that, and it's that your actual Hebrew calligraphy. It's like that looks like a, a, a Torah scribe. I mean that those are properly executed Hebrew letters that are that I don't know where you learned to do that. Well, uh, a, a couple years ago, when I was visiting my daughter, we were in Jerusalem, and we went through the old city, and there was a Hebrew Torah scribe there that would, you know, give lessons if somebody wanted lessons. So I went down, I went and spent an hour with this guy. It was a lot of fun, but uh, so that that might be cheating a little bit. I do cheat a little bit. I go left to right instead of right to left with it. But but, but uh, it's, it's seriously, I've, I've had a little bit of teaching there. You, obviously, it's noticeable because people should know that the the Hebrew that you see generally printed is very different than what is actually in the scroll. And any of us who have had the honor of actually reading from the scroll know that yeah. particular font. And the moment I saw that on the lineup card, I'm like, damn, that's advanced stuff. <laughs> well, I've been to a Torah scribe in Jerusalem. Yep. Uh, wow. That. That, that, that's all very cool. I, I never told anybody that. This is the first time I've told that. That's amazing. You know, I had a, a conversation the other day when, when, when you, we knew you were coming here. Our Radio.com colleague is Cody Decker. And he had such amazing things to say about you, about about what you did with, with his team and that whole experience. And he said that you you may not think about Jerry Naren a lot, and he's not going to be a, maybe a high-profile guy, but he says never underestimate the importance of the relationships that he's going to develop with White Sox players. I mean, he just thinks the world of you. Well, I appreciate it, Red. Cody was a lot of fun to be around. Uh, Cody was a guy that got the most out of his ability and uh, – if things would have broken right for him, you know, he could have been in the big leagues for much longer than he was. Uh, but he was a huge part of that uh, WBC team, the energy he brought and the leadership he brought there. He did a fantastic job with those players, and that's why they were able to advance. I was going to I was work with them for the qualifier, and I was going to go with them to Korea. Uh, but I ended up taking the bench coach job with the Diamondbacks, and uh, they didn't—they didn't want me to leave since I was just coming in for the first time. So I, I missed that. But uh, with my my family there in Israel, every time I go over, I try to work with the baseball programs there. So and, that, and that's really how I got started with it. 
We don't mean to make this an episode of This Is Your Life, but I'm from the Dallas area and have fond memories of you as the Rangers manager, too. And I did want to point out what you said about how you spent so much time with Pudge Rodriguez, too, catching and and just what he meant to North Texas sports fans. How do you use that moving forward? Well, for one thing, I move forward with it that if I see somebody doing something right, I don't mess it up. And Pudge did a lot of things right. That's that's kind of like Yaz, you know, the way he frames pitches. I'm not going to mess with Yaz's pitch framing, but uh, Pudge is as good defensively as there's ever been behind the plate. And uh, I, I've been very fortunate with the catching part to be around some really good people. When I signed with the Yankees and uh, made the big leagues with the Yankees, I was around Yogi Bear and Elston Howard and Thurman Munson. And, you know, I played with Bob Boone, who I think is the best framer of all time probably in, in getting pitches with the Angels. And I've had guys like Pudge and Jason Veritek. I was even with David Ross. And I, I told somebody the other day the great thing. I, Ross, he's my hero because he was – a backup catcher, and everything he's done in baseball, he should be in the Hall of Fame for backup catchers. But uh, uh, I've been fortunate to be around a lot of good catchers. Um, Martin Maldonado was with us in Milwaukee, and when he won the Gold Glove and uh, with the Angels after he left Milwaukee, he gave me one of his Gold Gloves, and I really appreciate that. So I've been around some very good catchers. I happened to be at Pudge Rodriguez's major league debut. It was it was 1991, the Rangers at the White Sox, and people were kind of buzzing about, hey, check out this 19-year-old kid. The moment I saw him throw down in warm-ups, the moment it was, all right, balls in, down two, and he unleashed that thing, even at like 75 or 80%. I'm no scout, and especially then when I'm you know 22 years old, but my first thought was, oh my God, I've never seen anything like that before. And I saw Bench, and I saw Fisk, and, and, I will, I will ne- and he threw out two guys that day, just absolute dead sack of oats at, at, at second base. I mean, not a chance. And that was remarkable. No, he changed the game on the defensive side as much as any one player in the history of the game because he shut down the running game. I mean, guys really had, if they were going to steal a base, they really had to cheat on him. You know, the other day they were talking about Mercedes and how quick he was to second base. And, and he was. He, he did a great job the other day. He was very accurate. Somebody said, man, that's the best I've ever seen. And I didn't say a word, but I want to say uh, <laughs> I've seen a little better than that, but I didn't say a word about it because it was impressive what Mercedes did the other day, but Pudge was in a category all by himself. Johnny Bench threw at great arm strength. Uh, he was pretty accurate, but did not have the quick release that Pudge did and the accuracy that Pudge did uh, every day. Pudge, before he broke his thumb, and uh, he, he tried a uh, back pick with Mo Vaughn hitting he broke his thumb on his bat, and before that, I never saw Pudge make a bad throw. In infield, Pudge had this little trick that he would do. He would he would skip the ball off the front of the mound, like skipping a rock off the water. He would skip it off the front of the mound, and the ball every time would be belt high on second base, and he's the only guy I've seen to be able to do that. But it was outstanding watching. Outstanding. Uh, I could I could talk baseball all day. I feel we feel like just you know, we're sitting at the end of the bar, you know, just talking the game. This is fun stuff. I really appreciate it, Jerry Naren. Hope we can talk again thank, soon. Thank, thank you, and I'm gonna get in trouble because I probably missed the staff meeting here. But uh, but I appreciate you having me. Look forward to seeing y'all. Blame us. Yeah, blame, just, please, blame yeah, us. Blame us. Blame we'll us. take the blame. That is White Sox coach Jerry Naren. Oh, is that fun? That's so cool.